and welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. My name is Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And today, I am in my big comfy chair on a bright, sunny, cold morning, and it is delightful. Very, very delightful. A bright, sunny, cold morning. Yes. Nice. <laughs> oh, I'm next. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrown off because I'm looking... I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub, and today I'm a I'm an upstairs cold Zoom boy. Uh, we're we're back. I mean, not Zoom actually. Not uh, Zoom. We're using a different platform. Not Zoom, but still virtual. Uh, I just feel like I got thrown out in a in a big tap show, and I'm I'm with all the showgirls <laughs> tapping and dancing along. Tap faster! But uh, nobody I'm, taught you the choreography. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm getting my sea legs back. <laughs> Nice. Well, I am Michael. I'm a chaser. I am at home. Um, and I'm a, a very tired, wake the hell up boy. I, <laughs> it's, it's going to happen eventually. I promise we'll get there. Um, but yes, we are recording from a distance for today. So wish us luck, everybody. <laughs> hey there. My name is Don. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And today I am a very chilly boy. Uh, we currently have no heat or hot water in my building. Oh my god! My no. Oh my god! Still, yeah, yeah. It's been fun. Hi, everybody! <laughs> Welcome back to the Big Fat Gay <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> the Big Fat Gay Bitch Cast. So, if we, we sound a little different today, suck. <laughs> if we sound a little different today, it's because we're trying out a new program uh as we record our podcast so uh hopefully everything will go smoothly but if we sound like strange tinny automatons you know who to blame zorg zorg the ruler (laughs) (laughs) um we do actually have a a show to do um but before we do the show we would like to thank our patrons on patreon um we've had a nice little influx of people going on there supporting us um that is very awesome thank you so much uh we're gonna have some some fun little uh minisodes coming out uh hopefully in the next week or two couple weeks i would say um (laughs) it's exciting it's exciting we're thriving we're uh i don't know in post election like okay okayness yeah yeah it's just a flesh wound. Um, I was expecting like a, I don't know, a much worse post-election vibe instead of like, oh, it's like when you get a shot and you're like, oh, it's done. It's <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Just put on the bandaid, I guess, and I'll be. We survived. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so let's get to the show. What uh, we we have? Wait a second. We have a mailbag today. We do. How does oh, that we happen? Do. Oh my god! But we we have a mailbag, but we don't. We, do, we music, can't. But our listeners the... do. So I'm just oh. gonna hear it in my head that roll that just beautiful imagine it. bean music. Should I read it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, Dan. <laughs> Go ahead. Take us into that mailbag. Uh, uh, so our listener writes, listening to the podcast this week and specifically about Chicago, in addition to all you guys spoke about, there's the infrastructure and seating. My experience has been places like Chicago just have better seating, lots of benches, sturdy wooden chairs, etc. But then the more fit quote-unquote areas, are all about molded seating and flimsy Ikea seating. I live in the Boston area and will often avoid trendy areas when going out because I know I won't have a good place to sit. Whereas in the old neighborhoods, they have these sturdy chairs. One exception is the new retro places that that have long benches all across the wall and movable tables. My favorite. Uh, yes, that is called a half banquette where you have like a bench along the wall and tables and then just chairs on the other side of that. I, that is my favorite seating too. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize this and maybe you guys have a, have a take on it. I always thought for the longest time that as a chaser, it was my job to sit on the bench part and give the chub no, chair no, that's easy no, to move. No, I like the bench. <clears throat> the only reason to do bench. that is if the bench is somehow like, like it's a tiny little cafe and the chub getting to the bench would be massively inconvenient or uncomfortable. And if this, and if the chair is sturdy enough to take that, sometimes a chub might prefer that. Although then you have the concern of like, being too far out into the seating area, uh, a lot of a lot right. of fat people really prefer the the sort of 
security and stability of a banquette. Mm-hmm. I think it was that whole like scooting between two tables. Exactly. That yeah. I was sort of thinking yeah. about. Which in I'm, Boston, by the way, I am so sorry to this listener for like having spent a considerable amount of time in Boston. Uh, that is not a fat friendly city. That's not a human friendly city, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um, it's like I think the closer and, you get to Europe, the more you find that. <laughs> yeah, you are brave. I appreciate you know all you have to deal with. It's funny that they mention about the older parts of the city being. Uh, more fat friendly because i hadn't really thought about that with chicago but it's true but i found kind of the opposite in new york i think just because oh. there's it's there's so much stuff that's older because there's yeah. parts of the city that i've been in that are like buildings that are old where like i can't get in the doorway because it's just like yeah. it's so tiny and then i think i talked about this a couple episodes ago with the there was a bookstore we went to where like i could barely get in the door and then like the bookcases were so close together that i had to like sidestep through <laughs> all of them yeah you you did not do well in that retail space it was funny when no. we were uh, out in I, las vegas uh i went to a uh, sushi place with a with a couple chub and chaser guys and uh the uh, they had done the research. The restaurant itself was super spacious. The chairs were great. Everything was well set up for us. And then someone tried to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and oh, the, no. oh. They oh no! Had foolish, foolish mortal! Stacked on the hallway that like you had to turn sideways oh, and like scooch down a wall to get to the bathroom, and then like the bathroom was like oh, two feet by six inches wide, and mm. you know it was. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I could go on about the inconveniences yeah. of living in Boston. But I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. I was just picturing the fire department swooping in at all these businesses as soon as they hear they're not fat compliant. You know, like I mean, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> Especially if they do it shirtless. <laughs> Are you aware that your restaurant is not up to fat code? <laughs> I, I think I've said it on the show before, but the fire department around the corner from me is just like it's straight out of central casting. They actually oh, do yeah. like clean the uh, the fire the fire engine shirtless once or twice a year, and like yeah, I become a stereotype. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Mm, we got some. Mm. I think they move all the uh, fire firemen that are too hot for West Hollywood out to me because they're it would too cause hot. A they're too hot. Get them out. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna start their own fires. <laughs> Well, anyway, well, they are fired. Uh, we <laughs> we have uh, we have a show. Let's let's get into that pop culture. Yeah, um, yeah. The music, the music. It's it's jazzy. It's brassy. It's playing right now, probably. Uh, <laughs> I I, I will, love this story in pop culture. Should I or not? Yeah, yeah. This well, and is I awesome. thought of, Go for it. I, I want Dan to kind of do his whole Professor Dan thing with some of this because <laughs> well thank you Trevor <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting um, a, a spin on Fat Bear Week because um, Fat Bear so Week we have talked about past. Fat Bear Week yeah so yes. for those who past, don't in the past for those who still who don't remember don't know <clears throat> Fat Bear Week is when uh, I don't know the media suddenly becomes fixated on the fattest animal bears in the wilderness yeah. and you get yes. to vote on the best fat animal bear. and, and, and yeah. there was yeah. a bit of a scandal this year when uh the the bear named cole bear uh got uh, <laughs> basically there was a uh a, a I, I don't know how they tracked it but there was a vote bomb for it wasn't cole bear it was holly <laughs> this isn't so this isn't actually this what really we're supposed to be talking about the, uh, this is context everybody so yes. the actual article that we're talking about is from the washington post and i think dan set okay. it up because it's very <laughs> it's re- yeah as trevor said professor okay dan. so um well it seems that the washington post is uh has has tracked the research on hibernating bears because hibernating bears are a rather interesting uh, situation where you have people or you have, I'm sorry, bears (laughs) (laughs) that deliberately gain weight, go into a state of complete lethargy to the point of twilight sleep, and yet come out of it suffering no ill health effects, no muscle wasting, no diabetes. How is this possible? And scientists have set to work. And um, it's actually a rather complex question, but what they're really looking at, and I thought this was really this is, you know, because the, the thing I keep saying all the time is that, you know, when somebody is on you about being fat, it's never about your health. And this is sort of the bears uh, coming up in the parade saying that 
it's actually like they they can do everything that you're not supposed to do, but their health remains really great. So scientists are looking at why they, for example, do not lose significant muscle mass when they spend three yeah. months asleep, not moving. Why mm. and why do they become uh, insolent? completely insulin resistant going into hibernation or in my hibernation, but not coming oh, out. They become incredibly insulin uh, intolerant. Uh, yeah, it changes. And they've done experiments where they actually take, you know, using the blood from hibernating bears does different things to cells than the blood from non-hibernating bears or when they come out of hibernation. So anyway. Yeah. And they tested it on uh, a few different types of muscle tissue from other, other species and saw similar types of effects on on that on those tissues as well f using the bare blood mm -hmm. um, from the different stages of hibernation versus non-hibernation yeah they actually saw fat um, cells soaked in the not in the i guess it was the bare blood coming out of hibernation i'm not sure which group it was <clears throat> but basically they saw fat cells becoming resistant or non-resistant just by being in, in this environment way. in this uh, biological environment which of course, so I will say this Washington Post article is very quick, very quick mm. to say that in humans this would kill you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the whole, the whole gaining weight and then losing weight and then gaining weight and then losing. Well, I mean, yo-yo dieting too. is not exactly a great idea, but the idea is that being fat will kill. You. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it is really interesting because they are they are looking at it as a way to. Eventually, if the research goes in a certain way that they hope it does, and there's still a lot left to do, uh, to, to help treat uh, diseases like diabetes, mm. where you know this this clearly has some measure of control over how your body handles insulin, that doesn't have is not unique to bear biology. It's something that seems to have an impact on other types of biology as well. So. Um, yeah, there's a lot of promise in it. And like, look, fat bears are saving the world. Like, yeah. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think about like, if like, would they try to replicate the whole like kind of weight gain hibernation process in humans for like astronauts going to Mars or something? Well, the direct application mm. they mention is, for example, people uh, who are fat but can't exercise. They're either, mm -hmm. for some reason, they're bedridden or they're uh, wheelchair bound. And so movement is actually very difficult for them. How would we There's, prevent muscle wasting? Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that was one of the applications people, they mentioned. Putting people into an induced coma for a while can also create a huge <laughs> amount of atrophy. So if they could, I mean, yeah. it would allow a lot of medical applications too. I, I think here yeah. for me, because the research is in such early stages, this kind of for me is the the bright ray, which is sort of abstract, but here we go. It's all, there's this whole con, uh, conversation uh, in healthism about being natural, something about being natural, which actually doesn't have a really great definition since as someone once said, that which is impossible is the only thing that's in, unnatural. Um, we, we've been told that like gay people aren't natural. That's not the natural way to have sex. And we've been told that fat people aren't natural because your body isn't supposed to be that way. And it even extends to medication, right? It extends to this idea like, well, sure, you're, you're, your blood sugar is controlled, but that's because you're on medication and that's not a natural way to take care of it. So I love this because it really brings back into, hey, there are animals out there, maybe even humans that are that are very fat, gain weight, lose weight, and it's perfectly natural for them. They've, act they've actually evolved to have that facility. Uh, anything from walruses to hibernating bears. So I love that this is sort of the counter to that current in the conversation about healthism. I also like that this is the next step towards like a, you know, an evil scientist like Jim <laughs> to create like it is the perfect human being. Um, like we are, we are well on our way towards just sort of like cr crafting um, bear, bear people, humans. Well, I was gonna, yes, I was gonna people. say, you know, the thirty years, we're all gonna look exactly the same. We're all gonna have the same body. <laughs> so, uh, the body of seven forty-seven. <laughs> well, that, it, well I, that's kind. Of, that is sort of an interesting thing here because then it becomes. Because if you can start manipulating things like hormones or, or enzymes like myostatins and proteins like that, 
you really have an unprecedented degree over what you want your body to look like, whether it's hypermuscular, uh, hyperfat. Um, there, there's, a, there's a lot of variability that suddenly becomes under your control because all we got now is you know genetics and hormones. And we think the way to control hormones is through diet, which is a really poor way to do it and blah, blah, blah. I, I just, I'm very excited that as I said, the fat bears are saving the of world. Course. That to me is the major takeaway. Every here. time we talk oh about Fat Bear Week, I really want to implant like a countrywide Fat Bear Week where we celebrate, you know, me, fat bears. You oh, know, you mean, just, you I mean like a, people just almost oh. like a bear jamboree, Don? Yeah, like if people would just like stop me on the street, run a up country. to me, like <laughs> I'm just oh, the people running up to me, like throwing glitter yeah. in the air, joining arms around me, and like dancing a maypole. It'd be wonderful. Like it would be a happy, That's happy right. week. <laughs> I love that you're. Well, you want a country bear jamboree? We like do. we have. What do you want them to do to your maypole? <laughs> oh boy, it doesn't involve. Doesn't seem as a small child. Don has had the ambition to be a maypole. <laughs> That's it. I'm. I'm. Sl oh wait. Oh no, we're not. We're not there yet. Never mind. I was going to slam, slam the, uh, the fat, the fat watch, watch button. button. No, but we're, we're not, not there, there yet. Oh my we god. We have something much more wacky to talk about. Yes. Oh, this is, I am dying um, to know people's reaction to this. So. This is a short film uh, created by the v uh, Vienna Tourism Board or something yes. like that. It actually says at the front. And uh, it's called What Does a Belly Do in Vienna? But it is not just your typical like tour of the city via like drone. This is a story based short film narrated from the perspective of an actual very fat but belly. just the belly no person and attached a living belly sentient belly who has <laughs> been uh, exercised away yep. from the man that he because used the man lost to. his belly get mm -hmm. it and i also love i also love belly. that this is literally a belly with legs if you've ever been treated that way yes. this is this is actually the mm -hmm. commercial yeah. in which it is depicted but with a with a lovely derby with a lovely derby yes yeah mm -hmm. he's fashioned up mm -hmm. you know? And so he is, he's written a letter to his ex, essentially, who got rid of him and said that he's going out on his own because he wants to find out who he is and he wants to find a place where he's loved. And so he's going through Vienna and experiencing all of the wonderful things you can experience in mm -hmm. Vienna. And they make sure to say things like, oh, at this one stunningly upscale hotel to have a place where your belly fits. And like, it, mm -hmm. there's... It's not. It's just, not just a single gimmick at it, the like, start. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that's the setup. What did everyone think while I watching? I love that? this, and you have to understand. I have the prejudice that I've been trying to get Trevor to Vienna for quite some time. <laughs> I, have, <laughs> I, I have friends there whom I met in my in my travels in Europe, and I really, really, really want to go to Vienna. And this, to me, is like everything I could have ever said to Trevor about why to go. Wow. Well, okay. so Trevor did that. Yeah. Did this well, convince okay. so you? I have I had two separate reactions to the reactions to this because the first time I watched it, I didn't know there was sound, so I was just kind of watching it like on Twitter, and I was like, oh. "This is this is very strange." Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be very I, the, the exact same thing voiceover. happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> exact same thing happened to me. And then I watched it's all it voiceover. <laughs> I watched it again, and I was like, "Oh, there's a voice," and I was. The second time, I really liked it, and I was like, "This is just so sweet." And I loved, I loved the the little kind of ending of the most beautiful way to love yourself is to indulge. Yes, um, that is that is the tagline. That is the controlling concept. The best way to celebrate yourself is to indulge, and the belly does. Yes, <laughs> and they get back together in the yeah. end, which is always they do. They, they have, have lunch date. together at a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> and he's laughing mm -hmm. um, big belly laughs <laughs> i also i also love that it's it's so much about accessibility and indulgence and they're not shying away from it they're not like you know oh you don't have to eat in vienna we have these other things you can do we're like no you should fucking eat in vienna mm, and here's uh -huh. why and here's a dessert cart coming down to the belly and here's <laughs> and here's this amazing you know huge bed that the belly gets to jump on and roll around in yeah um, yeah and I think it's it's just such a wonderful way to celebrate that and to strike a blow against anti-fat bias by literally glorifying obesity as your as your tourism campaign. God, I love that. And one of my favorite parts, maybe my very favorite part, was he goes to I forget which uh, art museum, but uh, gets to yes. look at all of these Renaissance paintings that have that are sort of famously 
like glorify the human form as mm -hmm. it as it is as it was and the belly the, the belly. belly is like looking at all the other bellies of all the, yeah. the yes. other exactly <laughs> which was an awesome way to kind of i don't know like I guess illustrate how obsession with thinness is a relatively recent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and that, you know, not so long ago, this, that was very much not the case, um, in the, I sort of idealized artistic vision of somebody in the Renaissance, um, which is super cool. Uh, Don, what did you think? I, 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 hmm, I was on both sides of the fence on this one, like, cause I could see what it was doing, but, um, if I put my thoughts aside, my, my sort of visceral reaction was like, it, I'm more than a belly, like stop, like relegating me to being just this one thing. And so, yeah, I'm, I, my emotions and my thinking were not aligned in this one. That's the best way. Well, I, I don't think okay. I don't think they're saying he's just a belly. I think the whole nope. point is I, I am the, aware the man that. has been divorced from his belly and therefore can I am enjoy life. Fully, fully cognizant on what they were doing and what they were attempting to do, but my visceral reaction was still one uh, of belly. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know why my brain goes there, but yeah. So like, I don't take any sort of offense at it because my brain can step in and say like you're reacting inappropriately, but. I don't know. I, I I wasn't able to sort of celebrate it the way you guys were. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's fair. It is. There is an uncanny valley that you have to get over at first. But once you realize that the belly has a whole personality, there's and it's sort of cartoonish. Yeah. Um, and it is a real prop and not a CGI thing, which at first it kind of looks like CGI. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, I think the thing that made it better for me was there's a scene where the belly is walking down the street. He looks into a restaurant and you see another man having dinner with his belly. Yes. I love right? that part. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And they're having a and they're enjoying themselves and they're enjoying each other. And I think that's the thing that sort of helped me emotionally break out of where I was, where I'm like, this is this is actually doing what it's purporting to do. So I, I was happy with that. Mm hmm. Time All to right. slam that button you guys now. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. It's 2020. It's Fat Watch. We're here. We're queer. We're fat. <laughs> We're still getting used to it. <laughs> We're still, yeah. Um, Vogue is coming in again. But you know who's not still getting used to it because she's already owned the whole space and then some? Jessamine, Jessamine Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> she is a uh, social media personality. Um, she is, I guess you could say, an influencer, but she is so much more than that. She, I mean, the headline that we're talking about right now is that she is teaching naked yoga on OnlyFans. So extrapolate from that <laughs> all the various social media versions <laughs> of that kind of personality. She, uh, so I follow her on Instagram. Uh, she's constantly posting all kinds of like very like liberation-y, like do your thing uh, videos, whether it's talking to the camera about something she experienced or like eating a certain meal or a recipe or doing yoga in her yard, slightly clothed because it has to be for Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, and she did talk about like, you know, obviously she's this uh, fat woman who has had to go through her own journey of accepting her body. And she talks about yoga as being this sort of absolutely pure exploration of your body in ways mm -hmm. that are very confronting at first. Uh, but the fact that it's naked in her case sort of strips it down, pun intended, <laughs> to the absolute bare essentials, which is you're not trying to fight through your clothing. You're not trying to, you're not in a class like worried about how you look and how well your pants fit or your tights and or competing or competing of, using your clothing clothing to compete in the class like how do i look yeah or what am i yeah. wearing yeah it just takes all of that all of that brain power that you associate with a lot of stress and anxiety which is the opposite of what yoga is supposed to be mm -hmm. it takes it away yeah. and she does make a, a a point of saying that she is the one who is naked you do not have to be naked yourself to follow along to appreciate the the, the poses and everything and it's um, it's only fans so like who would know if you were naked yeah it's not a, it's not like you're all joining a zoom class yeah. i mean she's sort of leading her own uh her own class anyway the coolest part of the, about this to me besides the fact that she's awesome is that this is in vogue and this is not a 
apparently not her first time doing an interview with folk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the interviewer specifically says, uh, Emma Spector says, how have the first question is, how have you been since the last time we talked? Um, which I think is super cool. What I loved about this is just kind of, so when she's talking about the difference from, you know, naked yoga versus clothed yoga, I really kind of relate because I, I don't do no naked uh yoga or anything but i went not unless you subscribe like, at twenty dollars a month <laughs> I, i'm at that like fifty dollar tier baby oh my bad my um, bad that's right value yourself value. Oh. and by the way you probably could like oh yes i i, I you trust, could trust me michael <laughs> i've had this uh but my so anyway um the i have kind of like so when i started going to the gym i would always like i had i don't know just kind of typical gym shorts and stuff which i quickly realized like i hate that because i found all this fabric and everything got in the way of being able to move my body or just use equipment or anything um i but i don't know I'm, i'm thinking about like the pilates stuff i do and like what would that be like naked well the other difference too is that you know, for fat people, your body changes shape so much more dramatically yeah. when you change positions. Just think of standing yeah. versus sitting and what that does to pants and things like that. So having enough fabric to come to to cover you in one posture may be just way too much fabric in a different posture. And so naked yeah. or with lycra, you can really minimize all that. I don't know. I should try doing some things naked because I'm thinking about like I have a lot of, I don't know, meat. Um, and I'm just thinking about, I almost feel like it might be difficult in some ways. Would you be willing to do that in front of your Pilates instructor? It's only one. It's, it, I know I would, I, I'm not going to be like, Hey, no, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> let me, I, mean, I, I need to try something out. Bear with me for a second. As I'm like, just peeling off Excuse my me one moment. I, I'm also I sort of grossed out when people wearing shorts don't wipe down the machines afterwards. I'm only picturing like, you know, what well, he's, <laughs> naked he's people not wiping down the machines are going to leave. He's, he's in the living room. So there's no, yeah. it's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. This is zoom. This is zoom. Yoga or Zoom Pilates. No yeah, equipment not, was not. harmed in the filming of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> not at least not that wasn't uh, super into it. Yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, Jessman is being awesome. You can find her on all the various social medias. It's not just in, uh, it's not just only fans. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I like I said, I follow her on Instagram. She's very inspiring. Uh, okay, well, so let let's do it. Let's let's, let's dive main topic land wildly, wildly veer into our our main subject uh, for today, Trevor. I think you you should set this. Yeah. One up um. So the we were doing boy. our little our little podcasty talky thing, and we were thinking about the holidays, but also kind of this running theme we've had of shifting perceptions, and we thought it would mm-hmm. be interesting to talk about how we have had personal changes in how we perceive certain certain foods or drinks or mm-hmm. um, aha moments or just things like that. And working through any traumas associated mm-hmm. with food that may have cropped up over yeah. the years as well. I feel like yeah, your relationship have... with food is a good thing to touch in with every once in a while, no matter what your body type is or what your mentality is. Mm-hmm. You know, all of us have just come through, you know, a COVID quarantine that's lasted two and a half, three years at this point. We have all had to re-examine some things, and it's good to try. Let's try and see where you are right now. So, mm. where are we yeah. right now? I hello, hello. personally, yeah, we're we're all in different places. <laughs> um, um, I can start if people want me to start. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, I think probably what I am <clears throat> like this is such a huge t- taste shift for me that I am almost known for it, at least among the people who know me. Um, so once upon a time, I didn't drink. I like I didn't drink for decades, not because I was alcoholic, not because I uh, had a better whatever, whatever the reasons are. I just I it was never part of my socialization as a kid or a teenager, even more remarkably. And literally, I mean, it must've been 30 or 40 years later, I was, you know, I, I was really into cooking and I would cook with wine. And eventually it just became this thing where it got to be silly that I will do all these things with wine, except drink it. So I started drinking <laughs> wine and then I tried to find a beer I liked and then I got into spirits and Michael can tell you how that went. 
Yes, I I am the I'm one of the primary beneficiaries of Dan's. Uh, Michael is Dan's Frankenstein monster. <laughs> yeah, I I have to say I had a similar. I I don't remember any particular moment where I tried alcohol as a kid and didn't like it and put it away. I I just similarly it was not a presence in my uh in my family so much. My 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 dad would have like a beer or two and watch a you know, basketball game or something, but it was not like a big deal. And then, and I, so I waited till I was 21 and then have had a perfectly fine time drinking since then. I've been through a couple moments where I'm like, okay, I'm done for, you know, for a while and then didn't drink for six months or a year or whatever. And then now I drink now, but having Dan as my mixologist (laughs) is excellent because I, I've, it, it has gone from a function of like, Either A, getting rid of social anxiety at a party where I don't know people, where drinking can be feel kind of essential, but it's utilitarian. Or B, you know, you're out somewhere where it's just expected, like you're out with friends at, you know, a nice restaurant or a bar and you're like, well, of course you're going to drink. And now I get this experience of like, it's fun. It's like an exploration. It's like, try this, try that. Do you like it? Don't you like it? What don't you like? And it's kind of like wine tasting. It's like, it becomes very oh culinary. yes, I, yeah. I, I mm-hmm. You know, this this uh, uh, hits very hard on the palate and then smooths out at the end. You know, like you get to kind of play with it. It's really fun. I guess like with me and alcohol, because I don't drink and I, I don't know, have a very different uh, background in my sphere with alcohol than Dan and Michael. We're like, I'm from the Midwest. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am <laughs> from... You know, my fam- my Midwest. family's background is, you know, Irish, Italian, uh, Polish. So, well, you, a, so lot of, you, a lot of you drinking. Up, you grew up where drinking was an Olympic sport, for Christ's sake. Yes. <laughs> but there's also like trade. a lot of alcoholism in my family. I, uh, ha- I love witnessing a lot of people like, oh, they definitely have alcohol poisoning right now. So like v- very different vibes with alcohol for me. I still don't drink, but I can like... I don't know, appreciate things about wine when Dan has me smell it or (laughs) taste it. Um, I feel like very low level where like, I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I used to be like, oh, this is very red. I'm getting the notes (laughs) of red, which is different from the, the notes of white in the other glass. I have one foot in Trevor's world too, where like, you know, I, I had family members that had issues with alcohol. So for me, it was like a rebellious streak. Like I, I refused to do it because, you know, I knew other people who had abused it, blah, 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 blah. And it just be kind of became part of my picture of myself was that I was a non-drinker. And then eventually, I think it wasn't until I was in my 30s where I'm like, well, who am I trying to prove something to? Hmm. Um, and started trying to sort of open myself up to a few other experiences, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we can be that way with food too. I know my relationship yeah. with, you know, edibles, I, I mean, edible food as opposed to potables. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant pot edibles, yeah. which has been a shift for me too, but I'm, we can circle back to that. <laughs> I think that may be another episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, if it had added sugar in it, it was a no-go food. Right. Like that was a food I was not supposed to eat. I was always going to have someone standing behind me telling me that was not something I should be having. So, you know, my relationship to pleasurable foods, like foods that you eat, like desserts and things like that, that was a big journey for me because like by on one side, it is. My brain is telling me that is the culmination of all cuisine. All the best foods mm. come at the end of the meal. <laughs> um, and there's another part of my brain that's telling me that's for someone else. Like you should not be having that. Um, so yeah. it's very weird to have your brain telling you at the same t- same time that like this is the pinnacle of all things and you are not – and it is not suitable for you, right? So mm. I feel like – your relationship to the world, like that's a good way of like seeing what the gatekeepers are in your existence, you know? Uh, yeah. If there's a part of you telling you that the best things are not for you, that's going to be an issue in your life in other areas too. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I have a, a, a weird version of this too, which is because the sugar thing is a big thing for me. That's probably my biggest like food struggle. Um, and growing up, you know, having sort of hippie health foodie parents, or at least my mom, uh, you know, there was no, no, uh, refined sugar for most, I mean, we would do like Halloween candy. Like it wasn't like, yeah. you know, you'd 
military or militant, but it was definitely, you know, we didn't just keep sweet things. My mom would make cookies, but we didn't keep candy around or anything like that. Um, and so I was constantly chasing sweets. Like it was kind of a running yeah. joke in my family. And it was like, oh, he's got the sweet tooth, the grandfather's mm -hmm. sweet tooth. Cause my grandfather also had a big sweet tooth. And as an adult I, and having done some, some research about ADHD, one of the most common, uh, ways to get a hit of dopamine, which is at its basic level, ADHD is a dysregulation of dopamine, is food and more specifically sugar. <laughs> um, and so a lot of people with ADHD f gravitate towards sweet foods because they don't get dopamine hits normally and regularly the way that regular people do. And so they have to go out and like find it. And you don't realize that as a kid or even most adults, I think, don't realize that. But for me, it was really eye-opening to go like, oh, I've had a lifelong struggle with binge eating sugar and sweets. And now I kind of understand at least a piece of why that's the case. Yeah. And I don't have to deal with it as much guilt about that as I used to. I still struggle with it, but well, with me, it's, there's definitely that psychological component of like, if the best way to get me to do something is to tell me you are not allowed to do that. Right. Or <laughs> that is yep. not for you. <laughs> So having having done this myself, <laughs> I, I I have proven this theory. <laughs> it's funny because yeah. I have kind of the opposite experience, but not like where sugar wasn't really a thing in my household, but there were so many foods I never had because I was the youngest child and there were just certain foods that were like not in our household because my mom had tried with my sister or my brother. And one of them wouldn't eat it. So like I like I didn't I, I'm trying to think if this is the case and I'm pretty sure it's accurate. I did not ever have broccoli until college. Oh, hmm. not because you wow. didn't because, like it, but because, not because I didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't know if I liked it. It just wasn't on the I menu. Just, it was never something. Yeah. yeah. Because what Annie um, or Jordan didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. It um, is interesting, though, how the way you're introduced to a food can sort of define your context with it for the rest of your life. Like, mm -hmm. um. I am, I mean, I'm a food snob, no shock, but uh, Velveeta, right? The first time I heard of Velveeta, someone introduced it to me and they just basically said, yeah, it's like cheese, but it's just made of oil and like, <laughs> it, but it's, it's fake cheese, right? And mm -hmm. I, fr from that point on, I could not eat it. I could not put that in my mouth. It was just solid congealed oil. And I was, no, I was well, refusing but, but to eat it. I, you know, I, I don't eat it. I, I didn't know that, but I, you know, pretty much stayed away from it just because like, oh my God, this tastes nothing like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but there are functions for it's it. Not, I've had things Velveeta. where there, I've had things made with Velveeta that were delicious, but I yeah, have a hard I mean, time a putting it in my mouth, you know? <laughs> I just, I don't know if this is cutting room floor or not, but it's a good anecdote. So this is one of the stories I tell, because I do a seminar about people's relationship with food. And this is one of the stories I tell about a colleague of mine, Boris. Now, Boris was from Germany. And the first time, like most Europeans, they come over here and they taste root beer. And it's pretty much the most disgusting thing they've ever hmm. tried. Unless they're from like a Scandinavian <laughs> country, because they like weird things and root beer is a weird thing. So he's from Germany, not quite Northern enough. And he's tasting this root beer, you know, when he first came to America and he thought it was the most vile tasting mouthwash he'd ever had in his mouth. <laughs> Fast forward, he's living in America, he's living in Santa Monica, and he learns that root beer is actually based on the sarsaparilla root. And because uh, root soda was a very bad marketing campaign in 1920, whatever, uh, they changed it to root beer and then it flew off the shelves. So, but the idea that it was based on an actual root sounded to Boris like something healthy. This <laughs> this completely changed his relationship to root beer. And now he likes, and, and root, beer, root beer then became for him a health tonic whose taste was interesting. <laughs> so I wonder, Dan, if this goes back to what you were saying earlier about how there are certain things that are unnatural. Yeah. And once he discovered the that it had natural a natural uh -huh. origin. Exactly right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I Well, get I mean, how that. else can you explain the I mean, popularity it's... of kale? The shit's vile. I mean, come on. And yet, down the street from <laughs> us, there is a new restaurant opening. It's going to be a sad awakening. I don't think called... it actually is opening or not. I got to say the name, though. Trevor, I got to say the yes. name. Kale me crazy. Ooh. <laughs> uh... Destined, destined for greatness. Uh, so I think we could probably 
uh, go on. Maybe we'll do a part two of this one because we did a lot of like alcohol, but there's other foods and other things that I, I know that we could talk about. Um, maybe different special meals of the year that we have a particular relationship with. Uh, Thanksgiving is coming up. But um, we'll leave that for next time. What about, I know, I know for a fact that we have a very special tip today. This is on par, well, maybe not quite on par with the resources page, but definitely one of Trevor's uh, big sort of shining projects. What we got? Yes. So um, NAFA just the other day launched a new section of the website. Um, it is our Fat Death Planning Resources Hub which I'm, I, this is like kind of one of my babies. So I'm very excited that it's out there. This project came from the future of NAFA committee, which I was part of before I was on the board. And it came from a discussion in my Instagram comments by someone who actually I think is a listener of the podcast and a random girl I went to high school with talking about, um, the fact that fat people can't be organ donors and they also can't donate their bodies to science. (laughs) Um, why would you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And then which evolved into, Oh, we should have information about like what happens to your body when you die and you're fat. Um, Mm -hmm. and we were also at the time working on life insurance options for fat people. So we're like, Oh, Mm -hmm. we can create all these resources kind of related to how being fat intersects with death and just to create a space for fat people to take charge of the plans for when they die or if someone has a fat relative and they don't really know what to do somewhere they can go to get information. Mm-hmm. You might want to say that the, one of the other challenges is just finding the funereal services that will deal with a large or a heavy body. It's not just a no brainer like, Oh, a fat person died. So we, we bury them. There's a lot of intermediary steps that a lot of bodies are exempt from because of their size or weight. Yes. Um, so the first section that's out, it's basically about caring for your remains. So we have information about like questions that you'll get about, you know, if you have a fat relative who dies, like, you know, they need to know how much the person weighed, which is something that's kind of in fat liberation. You know, there's a lot of talk about like, you know, weight, not being important numbers, not assigning, um, value, a numbers, not assigning value to people, but this is actually somewhere where numbers are important and measurements matter. So we have information about, you know, just traditional burial, cremation, green burial, aquamation, which is a newer, um, it's basically kind of like water cremation, Hmm. human composting, which uh, is now legal in California and I think will be available starting like 2020. Yeah, I know Newsom just passed a law with that. Um, Okay. Just lots of information there. Nice. Um, and also, if you're in the death care industry and you like, oh, I have, I want to con- work on this. I want to contribute. Uh, we have a section where you can um, comment or contribute if you want to share something. Or if you're like, oh, I have a question about X, Y, Z. So we can continue to work on this. So it can continue to thrive and evolve and improve people's help. lives. Yeah, improve people's lives. And their deaths. You can check it out at nafa.org slash death planning. It's, um, yeah. It's a difficult topic, but it's a good one and a worthy one. And now that we have talked about our death, we are now ready for our dessert. Yeah. (laughs) So we're getting our just desserts. We are heading towards Thanksgiving and we are talking about food today. So, um, you know, for Thanksgiving, there's this couple different pies that we always have. Apple, pumpkin, pecan. And you know what? Maybe we want something different. So today, each of us is going to bring a wonderful pie idea that uh, we've never had that we think maybe you should incorporate into your Thanksgiving. And we don't really care if you do or not. We want to do it to ours. So um, I am I can't wait to find out what pies people are excited to try. I guess uh, this was my uh, oh Dan wants to start off. Okay, Dan, Dan. I I guess I would call it a pie alternative, yet it still has a crust. Okay, you ready? Okay, okay. What out of curiosity, what makes it a pie? Uh, It's a matter of great controversy and intrigue, Michael. Great. Like how how a pie is an internal filling that cannot uh, stand up on its own, contained by a crust. That's how I would define it. Very interesting definition. I don't know if I agree so with it, but Dan, I like it. All right, so, Dan, what anyway, was your... What are you bringing, Dan? <laughs> so here's what I'm bringing. All right. So I call these apple fleur-de-lis because it's me. Of course I do. And okay. 
Uh, so I, should I describe what it looks like first or describe how to make it first? What it looks like? Uh, what is it? Give us the experience of it first. Okay. So what, ar- what arrives on your dessert plate, picture it, is uh, on a smallish, well-appointed dessert plate. Imagine uh, a little sort of tartlet, but instead of being contained in a flat sort of disc-like crust, the tart actually protrudes into three or four sort of fleur-de-lis of, of puff pastry nice. that contains Ooh. spears of cinnamon nutmegged apple, which are then oh. drizzled with a red wine caramel sauce. Oh, that sounds... Trevor, have you had this? I haven't had I this think... exactly. I think you have. I think I've made it for you, but it might have been years since I've made it, so that's fair. I no, you made the red wine caramel, but you this. didn't make the... The, the actual tarts. apple. Okay. So I will do that. I will do that. And, and you shall all experience this. So it's very, yes. and here's the deal. Yes. It is ridiculously easy to make. Like it looks so impressive. It like, sounds so good. Yeah. But it's really super, super easy to make. Even the red wine caramel. Uh, the, the pie itself is just uh, squares of puff pastry that have been pushed into a muffin tin. So the corners stick up and that's the fleur-de-lis. And then the apples are just wedges that you can even buy pre-cut from Trader Joe's and you stick those in and you bake it. And then when it comes out, you drivel over the red wine caramel, which is really just a cup of red wine, a cup of cream and a lot of sugar and like two cups, four cups of sugar. I forget. But it's um, it's a delicious uh, red wine caramel that I stole from Tyler Florence, celebrity chef. That sounds absolutely delicious. Yeah. Well, my pie idea, pie idea, pie idea. It's my pie idea. It's a pie. (laughs) So I was thinking of like, I don't know, spins on Thanksgiving-y things. And I was thinking of, uh, so God, was it this year? Oh God. Oh, what a year. Um, I did the, uh, Christina Tossi from milk bars baking class. And I learned to make, uh, the milk bar pie, which is a very, like thin uh, variation on a chess pie. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking I could take that and mostly the same, maybe change um, some of the sweetener out for some of the Is it a custard based? What kind of, what kind of confection is it's it? It's a custard. A chess pie is like a custardy pie, but this is different because it's really thin and it has um, an oatmeal cookie it's crust chewy. that gets really just firm and Ooh. it's a little bit uh, firm, but chewy. It has like a chewy, almost like sticky chewiness to it. Yeah. yeah. It's really um, good. But taking that and adding pecans. So basically oh. making that into a pecan pie that would be like almost tart-like just because of how how thin the filling is, um, but how thick the crust is. And it's just really sweet. But I think bringing in some more crunch could play nicely with um, just all the textures going on. Mm-hmm. And pecans aren't like they're not heavy. They're yeah. like you get that crunch, but they they sort of like they'll they'll compress really easily. They're not going to weigh it down. Yeah, Michael. Okay, so mine is uh, it may not be that unconventional to some people, but to me it would be a new experience. Um, so my Michael's one of his favorite like Christmas movies is Love Actually, and. Uh, in this movie, there is a very, very famous scene where I think Kira Knightley's character brings the sort of friend who's in love with her a Banoffee pie. Oh, Banoffee pie, yeah. Banoffee, mm-hmm. Banoffee. They call it, I don't remember what they call it. Anyway, I had never heard of this before until I saw that movie like two years ago. I haven't heard I of it. I think it's very English. I think it's very mm-hmm. English, yeah. I suppose, yeah. I had I had just never heard of it. And they talk about it like it's disgusting. Like they in the scene, they're both like, Oh, thank God you didn't want this because I didn't want it either. And I'm like I was like, Okay, it doesn't look that bad. I looked it up and like having never had one before, I guess I couldn't say, but being a fan of sweet things, this oh, looks would, amazing. You would love it. <laughs> there was a place in LA, I can't remember the name, but they did they specialized in different kinds of kind of pies like that and they would do little individual pies and theirs was very so, good so, so let me just say what it is, what is so it? people yeah. understand yeah this is a mix of bananas uh caramel and whipped cream and so you have a a very english like digestive biscuit base uh with like a <laughs> thick sort of caramel uh on the bottom and then uh 
I don't know if you use sliced bananas or like a banana, um, like banana flavored cream, or maybe you can do it a few different ways. Uh, and then you can, you know, put like shaved chocolate on the top or something. It's pretty straightforward. We don't really have it here that I've seen. Like, it's not, it's not common, common in America. Yeah, it's certainly not, not the West Coast. And did, for yeah. people who are trying to figure out the name, it's basically a portmanteau of banana and toffee. Toffee. Yeah, Bano- yeah that Bano-fee. makes more sense. You know. Well, toffee I mean, being yeah. caramel or, you know. So the, oh, the one at the place that the name the name escapes me, but they they used, you know, sliced bananas. And it was basically like, I don't know if they used digestive biscuits. They probably just used graham cracker. Um <laughs> Like it was a graham cracker crust with dolce de leche in mm-hmm. the bottom and then banana slices and whipped cream. Um, I actually think it would be pretty easy for anyone to make because you, I mean, if you don't want to yeah. do the graham cracker crust yourself, you could buy one, get a can of dolce de leche if you don't want to make it yourself. Bananas. Oh. Yeah, I really want that. It's very it sounds good to me. I've just never had it before. Yeah, I've just never had it before, and I've always ever since seeing that scene. I first of all think both of those characters are idiots, and also want to try this. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, it's one of those southern traditions. Is uh, was it been uh, banana pudding? Oh yeah, uh, that Huge. I mean, uh, yeah. I've heard a lot of Huge. southerners rave about it, and I've I've tr- I don't understand. So I will have to well, one day and, try and, and fix that. And southerners will dissect banana puddings the way other people talk about, like the correct meatloaf or the correct mm-hmm. yeah. pie. Like it is a thing that one debates. It's it's like a, a regional pride pudding. issue, you know. And family. there was a banana pudding festival uh, not far from Nashville when I was <laughs> when I was in. I didn't actually end up going because I wasn't there at the time, but. Um, yes. So Americans, we're all about the sweet pie. We don't have a lot of savory pies in American cuisine, but I would love to try a Christmas goose pie one day. Oh my. Um, where it's, it's, I've seen it on, I've seen things like it on like a great British baking show, but I've never seen it in America, but it's like this standing crust, right? It's a pie that can yes, stand on its own and yeah, then you fill crust, it yeah. with uh, the goose and the stuffing and sort of like all of the trimmings from your Christmas dinner and then you with a, and then you top it off with a uh, cranberry sauce and then you bake it all together and oh my god it looks so good I want to that try. Would be the, that wow. would be exactly how a, a British cook would experience Thanksgiving leftovers mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. I, <laughs> I, I I love it. shepherd's pie it's, compi- it's compared to sort of like a duck version of shepherd's pie yeah, I guess but uh, I, I'd be very much into this. Nice. So what listener. pie do you All right. want, dear listener? Are you going to open your table to one of the pies that we've brought today? And if so, how did it go? Trevor, where can they go to tell us? Well, we're on Instagram and Twitter as at Big Fat Gay Pod. On Facebook, it's the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Five stars there. Five stars on Apple iPod tunes. <laughs> <laughs> Podcasts. Five stars on all the things. Um, see the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Yay. Well, maybe you're, um, you're also on a, a zoom like thing right now <laughs> and, uh, you're just, you're distracted. Tuning out of your call. And there's a bird outside and it has Michael's head and he's, he's coming to get you. Ah. So <laughs> watch out. <laughs> 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 <laughs>